0: Welcome to the steve and Goody podcast. We just want to take an opportunity this real quick to welcome you. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the trials and tribulations of a couple of particularly good looking hunters. <laughs> 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 traipsing around the Australian but Too young, very good looking and tall. Yeah, tall. <laughs> Freakishly tall. <laughs> Americans who are trapped and down and and uh, our experience is living over here and hunting here and elsewhere around the world. We're going to get on with that today, so stay tuned. It's the steve Owen and Goody Show,
1: live from... Well, we're not really live. We're not even close to live. In fact, by the time you're hearing this, we may even be dead. <laughs> so, how's it going, man?
0: Yeah, it's good, man. It's good.
1: Why don't we talk about your surgery? Steve, have you had surgery today? or, or yes. yesterday?
0: I did, I had, I had a cyst removed yesterday. Nice. It took from a... your ovaries, and... Yeah. <laughs> well, <sighs> uh... Shh, you're not supposed to tell anybody. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, no, I had a cyst removed from my back. It was just a pain, really. Did it hurt, or was it just
1: unsightly? Well. It's hard to imagine anything in your body being unsightly.
0: Yeah, no, because I am, I am a Greek You are God. an Adonis-like figure. It's amazing. A stunningly um, handsome man. It is true. It is true. <laughs> Ask my wife. She'll tell you.
1: That's funny because she's laughing hysterically in the corner. There. She on. tells me all the time. I'm just a yeah. super handsome guy.
0: Um, yeah, no, I had to assist on my back and it's it was quite painful and it's been getting inflamed over and over. So finally got in and had him cut it out. And yeah, so it took a whopping 12 minutes. <laughs> So the wife didn't even get all the way to the school before I was calling after she dropped me off. Say, woman, get back here. Get Come back and pick me up. I'm all done. Yeah, <laughs> so that's it, man. <laughs> right. But yeah, I do got, I've got a couple stitches in my back at the moment. We're so I'm being a little
1: bit. G- Did they give you any pain meds for some fun?
0: No, they said, if you're sore, take some pain at all.
1: I'd end down, give me the end. <laughs> it doesn't on. bother
0: me because I, I had I had major spinal surgery earlier in the year, so I have all that stuff anyway. Dude, we need to crack
1: that open before a podcast. I know, I right? Well, hey man, you. I love you, man.
0: <laughs> I, I heard about how you are.
1: I get real loopy from that shit.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, oh, dude, seriously, like I
0: get. We can't do that for the podcast because you already monopolized the, everything enough as it is. <laughs> what are you talking? About, You'd dude? never shut up if I gave you something awesome like that, dude. I'd love you, man. I know you do,
1: and I I shut up all the time. When you're sleeping, yeah, yeah, I heard, I thought you snored a uh, uh, rumor has it I snored loud on here It's mark
0: Yeah, yeah I, I I had this dream last night that I was a tractor
1: <laughs> you know red flag right you should that it, so getting back to your end <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so your surgery, so you're not sore or anything you are all...
0: no I'm all right if i if I move my back just right, it's a little bit tender, right. but i'll be i 'll be shooting on the weekend
1: cool. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I'm shooting on the weekend. I, uh,
0: again, you don't ever shoot on uh, the weekend. I was you're always saying, working on. You're always working on the the house that you don't. Live oh, in. We don't live in. No, so I think that's done.
1: My delightful wife has suggested that she shouldn't work anymore because we have all the stuff at home, and I should, I should fund the lifestyle to which she's become accustomed. Uh, needless to say, it was a sore spot. Let's just say the argument got resolved where I woke up in a pool of my own blood and I could eat solid foods again. Oh, so is she quitting? <laughs> no, she's not. Um, but. The suggestion that I made that perhaps, you know, she needed to equally contribute to the financial position of the household didn't go over entirely as well as I would have hoped. Oh.
0: Is, she con- is she still looking at doing, going back to school?
1: Yeah, she's currently doing uh, a tape course around horticulture, so... Nice, nice. Um, Yes, it's all right. I, the problem is apparently there's a bunch of knuckleheads in her course, and I think I just caught her in a bad week. So anyway, the long and the short of it is, um, during Sunday I've got a, a writing lesson my daughter well i don't ride these things but my daughter is um pursuing an equestrian career so we're going to this other kind of can you have
0: a career as an equestrian without owning a ranch
1: i'm sure you can i I don't know how i think you just have to own the horse the problem is owning the horse is a little difficult or is she
0: she thinking about like competing yeah like professionally
1: yeah, well, or certainly competing as an interest. I mean, I don't know if she's So,
0: what you're saying is she's going to spend a lot of your money to go and win ribbons. Maybe. And, and not much else. <laughs> not not much else, man. Yeah, I'm, but...
1: I'm not doing it for a return. Let me put it to you that way. Yeah, well, that's it's it. It's not a wise investment. So, I'm. Um, yeah, so that's it's, what I'm it's, doing It's today. an
0: investment of love. I know exactly what those are. You know what I mean? Yeah, right? You so, do and it to be is.
1: fair to my kid, it's not like she does a lot of other stuff. So, she hasn't like years of ballet, piano. Like, she's actually pretty, pretty chill in that sense. <laughs> Yeah. Again, I really wish you would have just picked a hobby, like... Hunting. Or, or playing chess. Something that didn't cost a lot of money. So, but anyway, so that's kind of my weekend.
0: Then you can buy her like a $1,000 chess set and be like, oh... I'm still way you're, ahead. you're kind of good for life.
1: Yeah, I'm yeah. way ahead. I could pick you 2000 So, And as an aside, we are looking at horses to buy. And I've got a few kind of lined up. And um, let's just say it's not an inexpensive proposition.
0: Now, I thought... I thought you were... I thought the riding lessons were on Saturdays.
1: This is chan- it because of the show in the city that we're in.
0: Oh, is it? Is that why?
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. so it's just this week.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's not a regular No, no to absolutely not. I'm not doing I it. was going to say because if if, no, I, no, no, if no. I have to give up my shooting afternoons with you, I'm going to lose my cool.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I tend to agree. I, I, I'm not going to give those up. In this well, you have stage, for the last three weeks. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. So anyway, so that's kind of my weekend. Um, I don't have the end down, so if you want... <laughs> you. <laughs>
0: That would help the weekend. You want to sleep well? <laughs> no, it doesn't make me sleep. It makes me goofy no and yeah. laugh. Well, we'll have to do that on a day when we're not podcasting.
1: No, I think we do it on a podcast today.
0: Or shooting bows. <laughs> oh,
1: oh, that would be better. Two or three end down, get out on the
0: range. What could go wrong? Two or three end down, you're not going to crap for a month. All right, uh, now, please. It doesn't affect <laughs> He's my like, I drink own. so much coffee. That seriously,
1: man, honestly, like, I remember Christina, our friend, said, Oh, you know, it's going to make you, it's going to clog you up. I said, like, Mate, this ain't going to clog me up. Give me two of these things. Yeah. yeah. Is I probably have anything wrong with me. So think
0: I've managed. actually got Tarjan, which is Woo! better. It's the same thing but it has it has it has Blade the other, it has the other stuff on it as well that, that reduce, like being bound up and all yeah. that kind of stuff cuz no, I, no, I had to take it long term after my surgery. Yeah, cuz you're yeah, yeah you
1: spawn. And your back's been bothering you for years. So
0: yeah, well that's what happens when you treat your body like an amusement park. <laughs> Between, you know, riding bulls and playing yeah. football and wrestling and, you know, teaching acro- acrobatic taekwondo and, you know, flying there. kicks and just, yeah, yeah, car accidents, semi accidents, just, yeah, I've just, yeah I've, I've beaten my body up pretty bad and I'm paying for it now and yeah. I'll be 39 in a couple months. and I'm going on 90. And I feel like I'm, I feel like an old man, kind of like Josh was saying in, our, yeah. in, in the, the last podcast. See, the
1: difference is I'm an old man and I feel and look like an old man.
0: You you're only five what, five years older than me. Mm-hmm. What are you like eighty? I'm two hundred and
1: eighty three years old.
0: Man. Oh yeah, that's it. That's it. Two hundred and eighty three. And the funny of,
1: thing is, because I <laughs> <laughs> I did a lot of stuff with weightlifting and all that, that my
0: body's thanking me for. Speaking now. of two hundred and eighty three, mm-hmm. wasn't that your score on the last twenty rounds we did? Isn't that your score on the last round we did?
1: Two hundred eighty three. What round? Oh yeah, <laughs> out of eight hundred. Out of four hundred. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. 10 <laughs> and 3 no, I, yeah, I, I stopped keeping score on that. I, you know, I've just learned I'm never going to compete in archery. I, the, my goal is to get good enough to hunt and stay good enough to hunt.
0: Speaking about hunting, mm-hmm. today on the podcast, mm-hmm. we've got Neil Becker from uh, Red Sand Safaris.
1: Very cool. From, That's uh, going to be uh, a We're doing the interview yeah,
0: from Red Sand Safaris in South Africa yeah. and the Mpopo province, province. Yes. which is pretty cool. It's just yeah. outside of uh, Johannesburg. No, I, th- I thought it was... It's two uh, hours yeah. northeast yeah. of Johannesburg.
1: Yeah.
0: And so, beautiful area. Um, yeah. And so, yes, yeah, so we're going to be talking about a lot of really... Cool stuff. ...inspiring things, actually. We're going to talk about, um, like, what it, the difference is, and we're going to talk about some of the politics around hunting in Africa, and we're going to talk about broadheads a little yeah. bit more, because we like to talk about broadheads. Which
1: tranquilizer he likes to use, but that's, that's right. actually more for the Friday night, not, yeah. the, not the actual hunt. That's it. <laughs> but, Excellent. So that's going to be, I think that's a good conversation. That's a really
0: good Have you ever dreamed of hunting in Africa, but you thought it was just out beyond your reach? Red Sand Safaris is situated in the heart of the bushveld in the Lampopo province of South Africa. With plentiful hunting opportunities in the African bush, along with its diverse bird life and natural beauty, Red Sands is a must for any adventurous hunter. Red Sands boasts a wide range of game, from the smallest and tiny of Steenbok, to the mighty and dangerous Cape Buffalo. At Red Sands Safari, they not only cater for rifle shooters, but they also cater for the bow hunter. So no matter what kind of hunting you're into, they've got you covered. All you need is a spirit of adventure and good aim. Welcome to Red Sands Safari's where professional hunter and outfitter, Neil Becker, We'll work with you on a personal level, one-on-one, and make sure that you have the exact hunt that you are looking for. If you're keen on getting this Africa dream going, contact us directly at contact.rs.safaris. all one word, at gmail.com. And remember to leave us the country that you're living in so that we can get you out the correct brochure and price list. Is it time to make some dreams happen? I think it is. I'll be out there next year. Will you? During this section of the episode, uh, we're going to be interviewing South African outfitter and professional hunter Neil Becker. So, Neil, welcome to the show. Yeah, uh, it's good to be
2: here. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, as he has Steve already said, I'm all the way from sunny South Africa, early morning. Yeah, uh,
1: uh, happy to be here. So, tell us, I guess, uh, a little bit about yourself, both in terms of your I guess, personal and professional life, as well as a little bit about your outfit. Where are you based in South Africa?
2: All right, yeah, so first of all, I was uh, born and raised here in the African bush. Uh, my family has been farming here for well, ever since the sun has been shining on Africa. So I am, as uh, Steve has said, the outfitter of red sand safaris here based in the Limpopo province of South Africa. I also have a day job, which I work as a medical orthotist and prosthetist. So basically what that means is we make arms and legs for amputees and help them rehabilitate, get them back into society. And then on the weekends, uh, I guide clients and fulfill their African dreams. Fantastic, man.
0: I love that. That's awesome.
1: That's excellent. You can, you can combine those two, we'll just have to figure out how
0: yeah 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 maybe
1: set up some kind of automated kind of arm that can or prosthetic pr-
2: prosthetics for hunters yeah, making ca- yeah. camouflage legs and stuff so yeah it's um <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of two worlds apart um, i mean i mean how do you get from from a corporate hospital structure uh, to the to the african bush but i mean i've i've had a passion for mechanics ever ever since i started um working on the farm and stuff so it was more the the mechanical part of making a leg as you can say for people that got me into the business and then from there archery also it's a lot of mechanics and a lot of the same principles that apply and that I mean hunting has always been the part of of how I grew up and the way we we feed our families and so we we hunt to
0: to provide food on the table that's the bottom line um, so what about your, now you're a professional hunter and outfitter and you on Red Sand Safaris. Can you tell us a little bit more about your outfitting yeah, so business? Red Sand Safaris, the
2: start of Red Sand Safaris comes back to um, probably 30 years ago where the very first African farm my dad owned was called Red Sand. And that's where the dream started. I mean, that's where I started walking barefoot in the sand. And ever since then, I dreamed about becoming an outfitter. had the opportunity to guide for several other outfitters when I was still younger. And then we actually got, we bought a new farm about six years ago, which had good facilities and we had a good location um, for hunting. And then I did uh, the national outfitters course where you go through a, a 12-day course where you Really learn about marketing, wow. how to properly address clients, how to do things—not the the African way—but I mean a more civilized way of of having people over. And then, yeah, from there we registered at nature conservation, started with the first clients, and now we currently hunting with people from Scotland to the U.S., hoping to get people from Australia in next year. So we are very blessed in that sense.
1: Very good. So are you registered with um, with FASA?
2: Yeah, well, FASA is the Professional Hunting Association of South Africa. So as a professional hunter, I am registered with Faza, but as an outfit, I am not. Uh, okay.
1: All right. haven't, haven't gone around to okay. it yet. I, I, that's, that's, I just was curious because I remember um, I, I remember uh, what, looking at um, the FASA list, and I can't remember why, and um, President de Klerk was on that list which I thought was kind of funny. I, and somebody said that he actually had a PH license, which I think was kind of an odd circumstance to be in. I think hes he's got to be dead now or close to it. So I don't know that he's going to be guiding any or, clients, but very interesting.
2: No, no, I don't know. So the thing is, yeah, you, there's two separate courses to become an outfitter or a professional hunter. So a professional hunter just basically means you've got the paperwork to, to guide clients, and then the outfitter is now you can actually... Um, get clients mark, do marketing overseas and so basically professional hunters work for outfitters but a professional hunter can become an outfitter as well but there's so many professional hunters around the country
1: it's very really hard to know who's actually actively hunting and who's actively doing marketing yeah. nowadays man yeah, no, i can it's like it's like lawyers in washington dc Man, they're everywhere excellent <laughs> excellent yeah so so how big is your your firm well so the
2: I, we own two farms, um, which is, uh, we call it Base Camp. So that's where everything starts and finishes. Um, it's about in total 2,000 hectares, which is about two, almost three, 4,000 acres, just a bit over 4,000 acres. But that's probably one of the smaller properties we hunt on. So I've got hunting rights from different landowners in the area. And we've got a combined hunting area of. Ten thousand hectares, which is about twenty thousand acres.
0: That's a lot of that's a lot of hunting area.
2: Yeah, yeah. We've been, we I'm actually quite blessed with the. There's not a lot a high density of outfitters in the area that I hunt in. I'm about the only outfitter in a let's say a, a hundred square kilometer range. So I really benefit from the local farmers. So we go into contract with them. They give us a list of species that they have in a specific area and then they benefit from them we use their local um, trackers and skinners so everybody through the chain um, benefit from us utilizing their land as well
1: excellent that is good sounds like you've got good broad community support for your your operation which i think is like critical particularly when you hear about critics of hunting in africa and um and in the us there's some of it but i think it's a, a In Australia, there's a fair amount of anti-hunting sentiment here. And I think the only time African hunting ever gets brought up is the... Negative stuff. Negative, the the Cecil the Lion crap and all that stuff. And I think what they miss is kind of what you're talking about, that notion that every hunter that comes in to South Africa contributes not just to one or two people or an operation or for themselves. That actually has a flow-on effect to the entire community.
2: Yeah, really that is that is that's a very I mean that's an open wound subject, but it's something we have to discuss always and that's a that's a I always call it a double a edged blade because exactly when you come to South Africa to hunt, we then are able to create jobs right through from drivers to trackers to skinners. I have professional hunters working for me, I've got catering staff, um housekeepers that clean and all those people benefit from a foreign currency and that's a very important topic is to that word foreign currency if I go to the doctor and the doctor goes to the shop owner and the shop owner comes to hunt on my farm that's just currency that we just swap around hands I mean nobody actually makes any money but the moment we have foreign currency flowing into our community it actually it it strengthens the community because that's money not I mean not money from home I mean it's money from overseas and that's very important for us you keep that constant flow of foreign currency coming into our communities and then rebuilding up our community that way
1: great absolutely great
0: so what are the what are the costs like for let's say i mean not not specific numbers because i know it's different for every country but um what kind of costs and like hidden fees and like, what happens if somebody wants to take an extra trophy? what What's kind of the the process that you do there?
2: Yeah, so when it, the whole process starts when someone is actually interested in coming to hunt. I work with that client specifically in order to know what is their need and and what is their well, I would say trophy list, which which is always a vague list because you know it's still hunting, it's not shopping. Um, and then we start out with a base package which is an all-inclusive fee. And then from there on, they can select different animals based on the opportunity to hunt those animals from a price list. But you can basically select a few animals, get your accommodation and get a package. And then from that package, you put your wallet away. And then the moment when you get back into your own country it will be the first time you take your wallet out. So we provide an all-inclusive no hidden fees, no extra cost type of service, which is just easier for every hunter to do budgeting on. If you've got extra fees or hunting per inch or hunting per animal, it just makes it a lot more difficult for them to be able to budget on, okay, I want to spend this amount of money, let's do it.
1: So obviously if, um, so they buy a package, and it's you know package A, and they show up and they, they see another species that sits outside of that package, clearly there's the opportunity to to pay an extra trophy fee if they want to take the wallet out again for that species. Exactly, yeah. Is that right?
2: What I always do is when I do packages with clients, I stay away from specific animals. So a package A would most likely include, let's say, one animal of a specific size, let's say a big trophy animal. So it can be a good trophy of a number of different species because you might sit in a blind where you have a very nice representative of a certain species and now that species is not on the list. Then you're kind of sitting here and now you've got to work out how much is this and how much am I going to pay for this? So we really give them a um, a selection of let's say eight or nine different species for that one package.
1: Oh, great. Okay. And that's based largely on size and kind of category. Yeah, category right? So you're not going to yeah yeah so you're not going to swap an impala for for example
2: so we do it yeah yeah. we do it small animals medium animals and then you get your large large plains game animals which would include elon and kudu and waterbuck
0: so just a quick question um a lot of guys can ask this particular question and that's um the malaria in south africa how does i mean is that something that travelers coming in that we, we should be aware of? Is it something that we should maybe get the the shot or take the, used to be the big orange yeah. pill? Um, is that something that we should be, be looking so, at before we come? Yeah,
2: well, Africa or in South Africa has malaria areas, and that's a good question to ask. A lot of people get very expensive shots when they come to hunt for in South Africa for malaria. So malaria is, is mostly based in the very low-lying areas, in the low-fell. But in the central bushveld we are in a completely malaria free area. We are about 400 kilometers from the nearest malaria area. So you can, we land in a malaria free area, we hunt in a malaria free area. The only time when we do go into malaria areas is when we do photographic safaris to the Kluge National Park, but then I usually beforehand tell the guys to either get malaria pills or shots or it's i get them for them here in south africa which is a lot more cost effective than getting them actually in the states
0: okay right well that's a good idea yeah that's good to know too
1: yeah it is, it is. i mean i because I remember I went in 2000, because I lived there for a year, but in the I went a couple of years before to hunt. I remember having to get all of the, the shots, and I can't remember if it was expensive, but I think it's good to know that if you're running around and you just don't get a chance to, to get them, that you've got the opportunity to to get them with Neil, because I think that would be a convenience as well. right? One less thing you got to worry about.
0: So Neil, let me get your perspective on, on canned hunts. Because we've talked about that a fair bit on a, on a cup on, on most of our podcasts, we we mentioned canned hunts in a very negative way. Um, and well, what, what's your perspective um, on a canned hunt?
2: We we yeah, sand so forest. We always try to to give an authentic hunt. I mean, we we all read books back when uh, Roosevelt and and all those guys hunted Africa. I mean, it was it was it was wild Africa, and they hunted vast open spaces from horseback and. And I mean, those times have, have they gone. I mean, we don't, we don't have that anymore. So we try to give an experience to people as much as, as close as we can to that. So we, we, don't, we don't hunt any small right. enclosed areas, which is defined as can hunting, where you can basically book an animal and you are 100% guaranteed on that animal. So we, I, I steer away from those type of people that want to hunt because you do get people who specifically say, I want this and I'm not leaving without this. Um, and then I try to get people that want an animal on a, a free roaming, chasing the animal, well, not physically chasing, but hunting that animal on its turf, on its on its land and kind of outsmarting that animal and that that's what makes the trophy a lot more worthwhile than the actual mount on the wall. So out of a out of a hunting perspective, we keep it to hunting. So you right. could actually call it canned shooting. Because hunting in a small enclosure with a hundred percent success rate, it's not it's not really hunting. Yeah, we we also we go through a process where we do a they do a land inspection from nature conservation site. So you have to have a sufficient amount of land available to be able to get your outfit as permit. So I know you always get people that will that will make misuse of, of certain smaller areas to, to get a, a better success rate. But you can speak to any, any hunter that has ever hunted with red sand safaris and they can tell you it's, it's not easy, it's not
1: guaranteed, but it's fun as hell. Yeah. And that's the important bit. Uh, of course, the one exception, you know, we were talking about this before that came in, canned hunts are bad and awful, unless you want to hunt wild cans. Then we've got a whole different kind of kettle of fish there, right? <laughs> so we could talk a little bit about the, the fair chase hunting of cans, but assuming that's not what we're talking about, your view is that uh, canned hunting as we commonly know it, um, it is probably a pretty bad thing. Do you see a lot of it in the industry there? Do you, or a lot of it's probably unfair? Do you see it still prevalent? Because it seems like it was kind of talked a lot about 10, 15 years ago as kind of this kind of more of a money-making exercise, really. Do you see it still I, I I don't see it in in the in the industry that I am so
2: much, but sometimes i do I do get a a little whiff of it when when someone comes to Africa for seven days and he shoots 20 different big game species. Then I kind of look at it in a way that say, okay, I mean, I, I hunt a lot. You talking about three animals per day? That's that's a that's an impressive strike rate. So I'm not saying it it was a canned hunt, but I I kind of getting one animal per day Sounds per like client. It. That's that's <laughs> right. good. So you talking about twenty animals in seven days? That's almost impossible. So then I kind of see, okay, maybe there's there might be a snake in the grass, but Let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say they were terrific hunters and they really made their opportunities count.
1: Very, very, um, very optimistic view, Mr. Becker. Very, uh, (laughs) very, (laughs) very non-cynical perspective. But I get what you're saying. Yeah, I
2: mean, Uh, and I guess uh, they hide it quite, quite well. I mean, people who still do can hunting, they know the risks involved in, in hunting something in a small area. So it's not like they're going to post videos of fences the whole day because that makes them look bad. So uh, they just maybe yeah. turn the animal away from the fence to take the picture, and then you'll never know about it. So I don't see it firsthand because I don't do it at all. Out of a, out of a personal standpoint, that's not how I want to make my money. And if that is how you make money, then I'll rather be poor for the rest of my life. But if you if somebody shoots twenty animals in seven days. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something something fishy about that.
1: Yeah, yeah, something's not right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So speaking of hunting styles, one of the things we were and Steve and I were talking about was in Australia, probably the single most common style would be spot and stalk. In America, particularly in the east eastern part of the country, eastern probably Midwest as well. Yeah. Midwest, uh, is it, it, it stands or horns? Yeah, tree um, stands. In in South Africa, I would imagine. Blinds or hides are probably the most common. Um, what what options do you give clients it's for red right sand so Yeah, that's
2: that's actually quite because I enjoy the planning of a hunt so much, and um, I work with each client. I mean, each client has their specific needs. Hunting with a guy in a wheelchair, you're not going to get into any stands, or you're not going to do a lot of spot and stalking. And then hunting with a very young, fit guy, guy from I hunt fit they they can get into any situation so i really like tree stands because you can play the wind a lot better okay uh, you can really plan a hunt you can you can yes. make, yeah. you can move around you can really be proactive about a certain situation and that that really molds around my personality a lot better than hunting a blind a static blind i do hunt blinds 50% of, of the, the static hunting I do would be from a, mm. a bit blind or a box blind. But I've got a lot of tree stands which I place in specific areas according to the wind. And then we do spot and stalk hunting as well. Uh, a side note to remember is we have probably the yeah, most predators of every country or every continent in the world. So <laughs> yeah. our, our game, they are constantly being stalked yeah. by leopard and hyena and caracal and jackal and serval so it's it's really they are really aware of their surroundings and anything within a certain perimeter they they really quite see you they see you coming from a far way out so spot and stalk hunting in africa your strike rate goes down about one in 15 stalks you will be able to get a shot dramatic that's not killing something <laughs> I mean, that's just getting to full draw um on a bow spot and stalk hunting and with yeah. Yeah. The rifle clients, I mean, we do 50% rifle, 50% uh, bow and arrow. With the rifle clients, we do spot and stalk only. We do an authentic free chase spot and stalk hunting, which is yeah. very nice. Yeah. We would drive to an area or to a lookout point, uh, get the binoculars, identify animals in areas, plan a hunt, do the stalk, and if it's successful, then it's really
1: a good plan coming together. Yeah, and I think with your with your clients with um in a wheelchair disabilities disability, <laughs> yeah. probably do like a spot and roll. Is that kind of <laughs> <else>? sorry, <laughs> man? I, I, <laughs> yeah. I just have this image of this bloke <laughs> rolling after a. I yeah. had to. I'm sorry, it was inappropriate. I couldn't help myself. So, <laughs> so okay. So that's good. Well, it's good. Then you've got a variety of choices, right? I think that's yeah. that's important because I know a lot of Australians have a fair amount of prejudice against hunting in Africa based on. The perception that it's all blind or, or, or high hunting. Because I think, because it's so common here, because spot and stalk is, is probably the most common, uh, what I've told people who've gone or who preparing to go is it's probably easy to think of blind hunting or stand hunting as easy, but like you've said, your animals are about a thousand times more jumpy. I mean, we've got deer here that, that are edgy, but nothing compared to a spring buck, right? So... I think what I say to them is is do a couple of days in the stand or the hide. And then if you really want to spot and stalk after you've knocked something over or a couple of animals over, then go out and do it. So it sounds to me like you've got that option. If somebody wants, yeah, to, we, uh, wants to split their, their time.
2: We really are. If you do have a, if you have a long enough time and, and the wind's right and the weather plays along, then I would like to do some spot and stalk hunting because there's a lot of, of different things that that you can still do while, while walking and while, hunting on foot you see a lot more um bird life and small rodent species while chasing an animal but when you're stuck in a stand you don't see the landscape you don't see the different trees or and while hunting on foot it's it's a lot more than just trying to locate animals and trying to shoot them you you really get a a big bigger sense of the fauna and flora from the small little turtle species we have walking up to giraffes and stuff. So it's a, it's more than just just a, a, a hunting something or shooting something when you're out walking around and spotting animals.
0: So if you were going to um, take, say you had some bow hunters from some short, particularly good-looking bow hunters from, from America Australia. who happen to live in Australia um, to come around and they were wanting to do some bow hunting, and they decided they wanted to do some spot and stock with their bows, what kind of, uh, what kind of options, I guess, are there for, for something like that?
2: Well, firstly, I would take them to the range and see if they can actually shoot at a further distance than 20 yards. Uh, I've heard stories about these Australian-Americans that they might be able to shoot, but I would really just double-check that, first of all, on, i don't um, know which ones you're talking about
0: at yeah. least half of us can
2: shoot. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> stalk, you increase your hunting distance to about well i would say the furthest a guy a hunter would shoot is is about if he can do a six inch target at a certain distance that would be the cutoff distance and then your gear is also because you're going to walk uh, quite a, a few miles in a day Uh, You need to be packing lightweight uh, shoes that can really take a hammering, but still walk very softly um, with a very soft, broad sole. And then the communication between the, the, the hunter and the client beforehand. You really need to sort out what's the type of animals you want to go after, what's the ranges, what's the angles, because these are not topics you can kind of discuss when the animal is standing at 40 yards in front of you. Then you kind of need to know already, all right, are we going to do this? Uh, is, it, is the angle okay? Is the trophy good? Because that communication between the uh, the, the professional hunter and the hunter is going to take a split second between a good shot and a no-shot. Uh,
1: unless, of course, the animal is drugged and yeah. tethered to a post. <laughs> then you then can, we can talk, talk about, about it stuff the for quite some time. <laughs> I mean, you, Me, you, and the drug the animal. We can really... Uh, we can give you a... That's p- it, mate. We can yeah, have we can a little lunch. Even for you
2: beforehand. And we
1: can... So, it's uh, easy stuff. It's a quality service <laughs> you provide. I
0: like it. Yeah, don't, don't worry about Goody. He, he likes to <laughs> hunt at the petting zoo. <laughs>
1: That's right. We'll talk about that later. Because if you can stop at the petting zoo as a warm-up before you go to the...
0: Safari,
2: yeah. then you're laughing, man. Like, yeah, yeah. You yeah, need to test your, your, your gear on some semi
1: tame goats. Some goat. Some. <laughs> well, I like to test my stalking skills at the uh, petting zoo, but that got me in a lot of trouble with my parole officer. So it, was, it wasn't good. So anyway, moving right
0: along. So we got there. We're, we're, let's say we have the good wind and the weather's on our side, and we decided we wanted to do some spot and stalk with our bows. How big of an issue are the predators for for guys that are stalking with bugs? Not as
2: big of a a problem because most of our predators are nocturnal um, or ambush hunters. So the nocturnal animals like hyena, you're not going to see them in daytime. And really ambush hunters like leopard, they are probably the best bushfell hunters in Africa. So they're gonna see you long before you see them, which, and then they'll just get out of the area. Um, you, we are not their intended prey, and they are not our intended prey. So we kind of stay clear of each other. The only place you would see a leopard is on the trail camera when they're coming in for a drink. Um, but I've never mm, leopard. So you don't and hunt them. Um, no we don't have yeah. permits for zero leopards in South Africa for the whole of 2017 and 2018 we had zero permits so it's a and if you shoot a leopard without wow. a permit that's about 15 okay. years in jail so I don't know if you guys are keen yeah. on doing some jail time Jeez. but I'm, I'm okay <laughs>
0: No, not really.
1: <laughs> well, no, my, I'm love good life, my love life is sorted already, thanks. But, uh, no, so... <laughs> <laughs> so Don't I'm, drop the soap. Yeah, that's it. I'll get so, you some soap on a rope. So, okay, so, so is it a CITES thing? So CITES has said for 2017 and 18, you can't hunt any Well,
2: leopard. no, it's a nature conservation thing. So CITES, you got to understand, CITES is a whole different ballgame. CITES stands for the the Conservation of International Trade of Endangered Species. So that's only with the trading of those species. So that's... That you can come to South uh, Africa, okay. shoot an animal, but if it's on a CITES list, you cannot ship that animal to wherever it needs to go. So, this is a nature conservation oh, okay. permit that you have to get to, to be able to physically kill the animal. CITES is, is a whole different oh, thing. Okay. That's only to do with the exporting and importing okay. of certain dead animals or a, a part of that animal, whether it be an eggshell or a bone or ivory or skin or the whole trophy. All right.
0: Nice.
1: So there's no hunting a leopard? No okay. hunting a
2: leopard, unfortunately. Guys. Excellent. Not at Not the moment. At the moment. No, that's great. Not at
0: the moment. Not at the moment. Okay. All right. That's sad. Makes me want to cry just a little bit. <laughs> that's, all right. that's all right. <laughs> it's on my list. <laughs> but that's all right. We'll just have to wait till they do let permits come out, and then we'll have to go and see Neil at that time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, there's, I'm, there's I'm a, there's a there's
2: different way to... Skin a cat, a leopard in this case. So we do have um permits in Namibia currently, so we can just uh,
1: head on over to Namibia and hunt, hunt leopard there. Rush yeah. up on our German a little bit, get going. <laughs> nice. Right. So let's let's talk about another issue that um Stevo and I have
0: discussed <laughs> on a number of months.
1: Um sorry. This it's the uh, topic of broadheads. 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 So I'm a bit old school. I'm a bit of a traditionalist. Okay. I'm a two-blade man, and um, Steve is quite wrongly uh, a, <laughs> a fan of multi-blade heads. And all joking aside, um, I, 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 there's a whole re- range of reasons I won't bore you with why I generally support that view. But what do you see in your client base? I'd imagine you see the breadth of heads, whether it's two-blade through to mechanical to multi-blade, the whole shoot match. Yeah, well, we... What's been your observations? Well, yeah, I see I see everything. I
2: see from the good to the bad to the weird-looking. Uh, I would say getting something that's going to give... Well, bells and whistles, first of all. Any, anything that's kind of moving or can move on the airplane or when someone throws your bow around in baggage, kind of stay clear of that. Anything that works with a battery on your bow, stay clear of that. But broadhead-wise... Something that you have confidence in, first of all. Don't try the latest and greatest that you've read about in some magazine over in Australia. If you've shot plentiful animals with an old blunt two-blade, rather bring that than going on my recommendation with something you don't have confidence in. But I've seen most broadheads work when they are well-placed. A lot of broadheads who fail when they are really badly placed. And then the blame always goes to the equipment it was the wrong broadhead or it was too light of an arrow. So something that's sharp, that cuts on contact, and that's going to be able to kill from the small steam to the big elan. That's that's kind of what I would I would stay away from specifics. If somebody tells me I'm shooting this, uh it were it's been working well for me over here in the States or uh, then I tell them, bring it along and if they have confidence in that specific broadhead then do it personally i i like more mechanical type of broadheads uh, because i get good a good accuracy on them wow and wow. we i could you just replace the blades and you're ready to go again so lately i've been shooting more mechanicals than fixed blades and they just they work for me i put the animals down and yeah
1: and, and any particular without putting product placement here, any particular heads
2: that like, have so here i, terms I of tried to, breads? before I put any critics on a specific broadhead, i tried to shoot at least 10 animals with a specific type of broadhead before I really can, can get a good sample of it. So for the past two seasons, I've been using actually a hybrid broadhead. Uh, it's from Muzzy. It's called the Trocar Hybrid, which has a, 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 a fixed two blade built into a, a opening up wider well kick out two blades so it it really gives you that extra penetration that a normal tube blade would give you but it also helps with these marginal shots having something that that, that kicks out to a a cutting surface so yeah, that's actually i would area. really recommend that to anybody because you can shoot a heavy boned animal with it
1: okay.
2: because it, it's going to penetrate yeah i really like the penetrating Okay. Yeah, because of the two blade. So that something you something Steve can work on: getting a hybrid broader that's gonna shoot like a fixed blade but cut like a
1: mechanical. So. Oh no, I'm not using that hippie shit. Don't <laughs> I, I'm not playing <laughs> I, I, around I, with that shit. I actually. It's good enough I, for, my two blade was good enough for my grandpappy. It's good enough for me. That's yeah, all I'm
0: gonna say. I actually yeah. used. I actually used the. Muz, <laughs> I actually used the muzzy
1: car. Yeah, that's a.
2: I've I've shot about seven seven or eight animals with it, and really. I can tell you that's a that's a terrific broadhead, and um, I gotta
0: say it made it made a definite impact on the goats I put through. because I shot through a couple of goats, and I tell you what. (laughs) Hold on, hold on, wait a minute. They just dropped. No, no, we're (laughs) actually talking (laughs) about feral goats, not petting zoo goats. Yeah, not petting. zoo it's feral goats. In
1: Australia, one species that we hunt are feral goats, so they actually are far more sporting than petting zoo goats.
0: So now <laughs> I, well, I can Unless Goody's goat. hunting them, because if Goody's hunting them, there's some dueling Banjos in the back. And you hear <laughs> somebody it. from Deliverance going, hey, boy, you got a pur of mouth. That's me.
2: Goody, <laughs> really, but it's, it's actually surprising to have you, I mean, on the air, I mean, you being something, it's a guy who hunts with your grandfather's broadhead. I mean, still walking to work probably and, uh, attending a, a hummingbird.
0: That's t- it,
1: man. I'm not, <laughs> not getting. I would getting have thought they been by now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would
0: have thought they'd been rusty by now.
1: That's Just cool. say. Well, b- the, you know, the funny thing is, is my grandfather grew up in the Lower East, <clears throat> East Side of New York and never hunted a day in his life. Right? So, so the joke behind the grandpappy thing is, my grandfather wouldn't have a clue. In fact, he'd think we were. Bloody idiots for going hunting because there's always a good deli around the corner. Why would we bother, right? So
0: yeah. hey, how about we get a nice pastrami on rye? Well, that's <laughs> it.
1: So the the, the thing I the, the thing I find with the um, the two blades, is I, I, I've used them. They work. Uh, there's a fairly strong view about one particular species we hunt here, and I've just kind of carried that over. And, and I love giving Steve O a hard time because he gets all he gets all fussy about um, these broadhead debates, and I just yeah. like taking a firm position. So but. But it's good, if, it, I guess
0: it's changed it's the too. careful, I'm going to put you in a firm position. <laughs> yeah,
1: promises, promises. It, it does change. So i am there for a year and I remember back then, this is a number of years ago now, it was kind of taboo to bring mechanicals. Three blades were different, like the muzzy four and three blades and all that. Yeah. But the mechanicals were kind of real taboo at the time. A lot of guys didn't like them.
2: Yeah, the, the first mechanicals we had back then, I'm not going to name any names, were terrible. Those things, they did not work. I mean, we had very small entry wounds and, and only one hole in the animal. So that's probably why, if you speak to someone that's been bowhunting for a number of years, they're usually more traditionalist in, the, in their broader choice because they had the bad of mechanicals. Whereas people who started bowhunting, let's say, post-2010, they only saw the good side of mechanicals and they would most likely be very pro mechanical. Uh, for me, being a, a mechanicalist, I really like the mechanics and really like to test out uh, certain mechanics, and I am allowed to shoot uh, more animals per year than a normal normal guy, so I really, I really like testing, testing broadheads, and then when someone tells me I'm bringing this broadhead, then I can really tell
1: them, okay, uh, it works, or no, it, it's not going to work. <laughs> and, and what about, just one last thing on this, um, Cape Buffalo, because I've hunted buff with a bow, and and my view is that two blades are pretty much it. A big, heavy two blade is, is working yeah. out. What, what well, do you Well, that's, that?
2: that's a different story. And now we're getting to pechyderms. I mean, you're not bringing any mechanical blade nowhere close to a buffalo. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. that's asking for someone to get killed. And yeah. that, because buffalo, they've got very wide ribs and very narrow spaces between the ribs. So you're looking at a heavy 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 front of center set up with a small broadhead that can slip in between those ribs if you putting a, a shovel on the front of your of your arrow you're just going to hit a rib and you have zero penetration and you're going to make life a lot worse for myself and my tracker who's going to walk right in the front on the danger part of a buff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, cause it's all about you? Yeah, because I'll be walking on the
1: back, let me <laughs> tell you man.
0: I, I'm gonna be back yeah. and having a cuppa.
1: Yeah, we had a client when I lived there that, that wounded a, a buff and I had to go out with it. And I'm telling you right now, I was shitting bricks the whole time. It was a real thick area and I thought, oh, mate, oh. Yeah,
2: buffalo, they are super smart and they circle around back on their trails. They stick to the thick stuff. Um, we are constantly on the ground looking for blood, looking for tracks, and the clients all the way back that's having it. a Coke, <laughs>
0: taking pictures <laughs> of a bird or
2: something. We're we losing, losing, we sweating yeah, out it. kilograms of sweat in the front.
1: No, no, then, mate, I got no stuck idea. at that front party. So, man.
2: We, I, with a Buffalo client, That's that's training and communication and communication and formulas, working out momentum, working out kinetic energy, getting a quiet, heavy setup. And that's not something you just decide and one morning say, hey, let's go so shoot a buffalo. So what, what do you recommend
0: no. for buffalo? I mean, are there any particular bows or weights of arrows or particular broadheads that you you would you prefer for for particularly hunting Cape buffalo? Like, can I do that with a 70-pound bow?
2: Yeah, you can do it with a modern 70-pound modern bow. I would not go back... 10 years with a 70-pound, with a really modern 70-pound bow, 700 grains and more, and I would go with a good Ashby head, um, anything like a yep. Maasai 220-grain arrow uh, um, broadhead, that will give you a good, good FOC, front of center, which would really keep the momentum forward. I mean, you don't, you don't want any side momentum, so no weight in the back of the arrow so 800 eight hundred to 850 grains that's a that's a good and then keeping the shot distance to less than 30 yards that's that's probably a golden for a buffalo setup
0: now you, you i know you used to work in a bow shop as well um uh particularly for somebody say my, my size i have a 26 inch straw which makes yeah. makes my ability to carry a to have an 800-grain 800 arrow, 800 arrow shoot effectively out of my bow, very difficult. So what, is, what would you recommend in something like that?
2: So I would, I would really try to firstly beforehand, months beforehand, try to bump you to 75 pounds or maybe 80 if you can muster up 80. I mean, when I say shooting 80 pounds, I don't mean drawing a bow and anchoring. I mean making a good shot. So right, I'd right, rather right. take a 70-pound a good shot than an 80-pound terrible shot. So, and then you can do buffalo. I would then for you. I would go a little bit lighter then with a 26, 27-inch draw. Try to go to 75 pounds. Maybe bump down to. 700 grain total arrow uh, nothing less than 650 if you want to go 650 rather leave it and yeah keep that shot distance close to get that arc down because you're going to shoot with a bit of an arc but we we i've actually done buffalo setup for for women uh where they shot 65 pounds 650 grain arrows and then they just keep it real close and keep a big sticker yep. and, a, and a good good tree close by so
1: because mm. <laughs> the other alternative is a four sixteen Rigby, yeah, You're right,
2: right, around right. right? Yeah, yeah. Right, right. that's a good alternative. That's
1: the
0: other one. But- so button. like for because my normal my normal arrow, um, because it's so short, um, my normal arrow usually usually settles in, right around the four hundred mark. Mm. Yeah, and without have without putting it without putting a heavier broad or a heavier field tip, in it. Um, I, I tend to settle right around the four hundred. Um, and I, I shoot Eastern Axis, so they're 9.6 mm. um, grains per inch. Um, but be, like I said before, because they're so short, yeah. I lose a lot of I lose a lot of that grain weight Correct. because of the width. And and an Axis is a lighter arrow, but it's it's one of the heavier of the arrows. Yeah. So that's if that makes yeah, sense that's for a 200
2: guy. grain is is extremely light for Africa. I try to get guys to be around the 500 grain mark. 500 to 520 is a good for an average length um, Like draw length so for you I would I would just uh, the only thing I would change if you would come to Africa is maybe do a, a 50 to 70 grain brass insert Then you you're increasing your foc getting to yep. a five 450 and then 450 with a good broader That's that's gonna work. I mean that's 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 more than enough
1: so no. Even on a, on a cape? cape.
2: <laughs> no, I'm
1: no, 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 no. back to playing games no, now. No. Sorry. I, I can answer that one, Neil. No. no, but no. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Emphatically,
0: no. Yeah, so, yeah, that's okay. I just, you know, because, you know, you and I have been having a lot of conversations because... I'm trying to figure out if I'm coming out this next, uh, July or, or the following one. So we're just trying to, it's one of the things that's on my list. And, and we've talked about it in the podcast before that, you know, the big five are on my bucket list. And even though some of them I can't hunt at the moment, there are some that I can, and I know you have a, a fantastic herd of uh cape buffalo and yeah, the lands uh, that you guys have buffalo. and so yeah that's it's kind of something that i have in the back of my head if i can come up with enough cash that's something i want to think about so it'll make a big difference to me if i can physically do it with the uh, materials mm-hmm. that i have and the, the equipment that i have or if i'd have to get all new equipment um so but i reckon in that situation i think yeah. I, I would or, just or take maybe even bugs one ball setup for buffalo yeah, one setup that's, for that's probably
2: going to be the best what, what that? that's a good and a bad thing because if you can if you do a hunt in Africa and you want to shoot a buffalo then if you can maybe do with that buffalo setup broadheads arrows a bow everything if you can take a few plains game species before a buffalo hunt let's say maybe two or three days prior to a hunt you take plains game and that really boosts yep. your confidence a lot in that specific setup I mean you really know it hits the mark, um, and that's, that's, yeah. that's for us quite nice. And now you're mm-hmm. bringing two bows, you're shooting planes game on the one, and now all of a sudden you're taking a brand new and uh, not tested setup, and now you're going to do Africa's Dangerous Animals. So that's, um, it's good and a bad thing, but maybe just do two different sites. maybe sight to one site or make different marks on your side, and take one bow with two different arrow setups.
0: Well, that's what i do right now so i've got i've got uh some cheaper arrows that i use uh for goat hunting from now on and so i actually have a, a second site that i have set up for those arrows and i just take those when i hunt those and i put my other site back on for the others but
2: um yeah yeah that'll work perfectly and then you can really get some confidence behind your bow and that really helps confidence helps a lot in any situation
0: We've been talking a lot about in some of the recent podcasts about how um, about um, buck fever, and we talked a little about that. So we talked a little bit uh, with Josh, who's been out there with you. Um, in, in our previous episode, we talked to him about how um, about the buck fever, and he said he got it real bad on his on his first one, which was his Impala. And we've been talking about that. I know Goody's had a considerable amount of it over the years, and and I've never really had it, but I'm assuming that when I see a giant Elon or something like that, my heart's going to be thumping and I'll be falling out of the tree.
2: Yeah, uh, you're going to die inside. I mean, buck fever, that's an actual thing. That is not a a debatable subject. I've been hunting Africa since I was seven, and I am blessed with the worst buck fever you can imagine. (laughs) So me and Josh were sitting in a small little tree overlooking a very good spot for kudu. And when he shot his kudu, we shook the leaves off of that tree I mean we we, we we couldn't even communicate with each other I was it was it was a warm warmish day I, I started freezing inside I had to take a, a walk around the area just to calm myself and I wasn't even behind the boat so I could not imagine how he felt so that is that is um, it's something I really
0: maybe I'm a sociopath
2: yeah maybe you are a sociopath I mean.
0: <laughs> maybe I am a sociopath because I just don't When I see it, it's just like, Oh, I'm going to put my arrow right there. And I start going through my checklist, hit full draw. Yep. Okay. I'm using the right pin. Yep. I've got my, my sight bubbles in the right spot. I got the right angle. I'm going to make sure I've got, you know, good back tension. I'm going to do a nice release, clean follow through, keep my arm up. Don't let it drop. And then once I release and I see it go through, that's when my heart picks up. Yeah.
2: Well, we can obviously hear he's never been to Africa. Um, that's right, yeah. the, the that's moment, right yes. the moment and I, I, expect blind, it, I expect that's it. it the moment you sit in a blind and a herd of 30 wildebeest come dusting in I mean all that goes out of the window like all that anchoring pins and yardages and every, all that like goes out of the window and it's just your heart racing and you're trying to keep the sweat out of your palms and trying to make a good shot so it's really important to practice beforehand so all that that you spoke about um, the anchoring, getting to full draw, having a good lead off—that that needs to happen automatically because thinking about that is is not an option.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's 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 kind of my feeling on the same. So I shoot. I haven't been the last couple weeks. So we've been really busy with school, but um, I I try to shoot between three and six hundred arrows a week year round. Yeah. So I, I shoot a lot. Um, that's yeah,
2: that's good because yeah, it's it's a different story sitting in a blind in Africa. I mean these animals are so wary because um, lion and leopard they usually or even crocodiles they hunt from ambush from water. So around water or in water. So animals approaching a, a watering hole are really skittish. They, they move, stop, listen, look, smell, stop, listen. And it's, it's not just they coming in, bang, making a shot. Okay, let's go take some pictures. It, they circle around trying to get the wind correct. They they're constantly on the edge, like a little string that that's consistently being pulled tight. And that puts you on the edge as well. I mean, you really you feel that at at a, at a bow hunting distance, you really feel that tension, and that really that, that gets your heart racing. Quite an experience.
0: Yeah. It sounds exciting. exciting. I mean, i um, don't get me wrong. I mean, I guess I've had I've had a little bit of buck fever, that not to the point where it stops me from doing anything but i've never i've never had to stop what i'm doing and be careful because i'm going to fall out of the tree or anything like that i'd be like when you're like oh when the blue when the when the uh blue wildebeest would come dusting through and and i i I reckon if you're sitting in the stand up there next to me i think i'd be more worried that i have a pup tent in my pants and knock you out of the stand because i'd be like woo, yeah uh, get yeah. a little, like yeah, but, I'd, but I'd be in run a, I'd in be something
2: run. that usually happens post shot um, i mean you try to, to suppress it beforehand knowing that you you must make a good shot but it's, it's usually something after the shot happens i mean it's just a bucket full of emotions coming through you and it's something you can't
1: contain so hmm. so, so on this topic actually you think if we because you've now been in the business for a while, um, seeing a number of clients, what are, the, what are the pieces of advice that you'd give any client coming from the US, Europe, Australia, wherever, um, to help, one, enhance their experience, but also to be good clients to you? Because that's the one thing that I, when I've talked to to PHs or outfitters, you know, I've heard them say, you know, I love so-and-so he's such a good client. What does that actually mean? And what advice would you give to people coming to to Africa to hunt to be yeah, good clients there's, to...
2: there's two very important important uh, topics. First of all, uh, I'm not speaking for the the Australian guys, here now, but for the U.S. clients, is our shot placement differs uh, a lot from the from the U.S. game. So we we have to get everything a lot more forward and lower. So brushing up on your your African shot placement before coming to hunt really helps your tracker and your your guide so then you are a lot so sometimes people would make a shot that they would feel is a very good shot but then your guide looks at you and say well that's quite far back and then so so brushing up beforehand on a on a on shot placement in african game that that really can can help um for everybody's standpoint and then the second thing is which makes easy clients is guys who are not very inch conscious a good yeah. representative an old animal with a good size is is good enough and not asking the guide consistently how much is he going to measure how much is, is he rolling Ward, is he going to safari gold is he the that really makes our job of judging an animal a lot more difficult i can tell you he's good but i mean i'm not going to say well he's inches so that's that's quite difficult So um, guys who are not as inch conscious and they say well if he's a good representative of the species and the shot is on i'm going to take him and that really helps from from a guiding standpoint that that really helps because sometimes i would have a a, a animal standing good and then he's not a, a monster he's not going to make any record books but he's old, he's good, he's heavy, and he's standing at 20 yards in front of you. And that's usually something, rather take it than waiting on something that might not ever happen.
1: And I think that, that's, a, that's an outstanding ethic from my perspective because I felt very strongly the same way during my time there. The, the most frustrating clients we dealt with were the blokes that shot the animal, and the animal hadn't even hit the ground yet, and they've got the tape measure out and they're running over. The yeah. car. Yeah, that is see see what it's it scored and it just seemed to cheapen the whole experience. It, yeah, true story. It felt very. And I yeah, always tell the know, guys,
2: you can really ruin a trophy with a measuring tape. I mean, if 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 you shoot a fifty-two-inch kudu, he's one and a half inches away from a trophy record book. I mean, what? How does that matter? I mean, it's it's a monster of a kudu. Fifty-two is not something you beat out of every bush. And so, why mess that moment and that trophy up with one inch? I mean, that's not worth it.
1: Yeah, and I and I agree too. I mean, I I saw a number of clients that were excited when the shot hit. They measured it up, and and I actually found it not so much against like the record books, but against each other. So, so a guy was really proud of his. I think it was a it might have been a sable. I'm Pretty sure it was a sable, and his mate had shot a sable the next day that was bigger or had fatter base or something. And you could see, because he was in yeah. that mindset, that he, he was kind <laughs> yeah. of disappointed in the trophy. And you're like, mate, you just stopped one of the most beautiful antelope on the planet. You've got a good representative of the species. You've done an outstanding shot, got good placement, the whole shooting match, and you're now disappointed because your mate did yeah was just yeah. fortunate enough to do the same thing exactly.
2: with something that happened. So I mean but, but for me personally I don't attract those type of guys usually. Um that's not my client base. Um because I hunt with, with guys who do free chase hunting back where they live, they they understand the principle of chasing something on its turf, you're not gonna shoot something that's a record book nine out of ten times. Usually the guys that are inch conscious, those are the guys that don't mind shooting something in a cage because all they care about is the inches they don't it yeah. doesn't matter so that's not it's the really- crowd that i usually attract so usually i'm blessed with guys that it's more about the chase of the animal than the size or the so we always try to shoot uh, mature animals that's the correct word not 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 trophy but mature
1: the, the last question i'll hand you over to steve is which tranquilizer do you prefer using when <laughs> when, when subduing so the game for your clients. I think fentanyl is probably pretty good, but I think it might be coming out of fashion. Yeah, we, Any thoughts there, Neil?
2: Well, currently, because of, of the, the, the pricing of the tranquilizers, we kind of resort more to the ball-and-chain uh, method. Ah, um, okay. It just slows them down <laughs> You've got to be commercially
1: more. astute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and you can
2: really use I mean, I, I get about 10 trophies out of one ball-and-chain before it really wa- wears out. Um, that really works for me in the long run, a lot more cost effective. <laughs> <Excellent>. See,
1: it's <laughs> that kind of commercial acumen that makes you a really an outstanding. Goal. Yeah,
2: that's, it. And you can that's add, it. If it's still too fast, you can add weight. And if it's too slow, you can really, you can decrease in weight. So that, that really works. I mean,
0: yeah, make it more competitive. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know what? It's outstanding.
0: Just take it off before the client sees it.
1: <laughs> No, 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 of course not. Don't take it You keep it on
0: there. <laughs> take, a, take a picture
1: with it. Yeah, you take it off. Yeah, you take it off before the photo, of course. But, right, right. But that's and happening. the story, of course, you don't you know, include that in the story. So <laughs> Excellent. Steve, did you have something?
0: I, I do, actually. The, 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 you got me half, you know pissing myself over here laughing. But um I've actually got I've actually got something I do want to talk to you about that's a little bit more on the serious side. Um so sorry to drop the momentum and the funniness. What I was gonna ask you is because you've been you've been doing this for a while and obviously you, you were born and raised in, in the, the bushlands of South Africa and I was just wondering how media worldwide is affecting has affected your business. With all the negative press from hunting in Africa, as well as how that how that's affecting the animals themselves, like um, as far as conservation with the animals.
2: Yeah, well, that's um, probably a topic that can cover a whole podcast on itself. So, I mean, what gets to the media most of the time is not is not on ground level. I mean, it's not not the guys who benefit from it. That's that's kind of a. It just seems like all the bad stuff is the only thing that gets gets to the media I mean the guys who work for me that really do the the hard work of getting your trophy cleaning your trophy processing the meat those guys they don't even have cell phones not I mean they don't they don't know what Facebook is they don't know what Instagram is they 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 I mean most of them don't even have electricity so those are not the guys you hear about that's not the success story of of a, of, a, of a guy that, that benefits directly through income and through meat from your trophy. So mostly when I see media blowing something up, it's this guy who shot this and how can they do this to this species, but the bottom line is if if something does not have a monetary value, no one's going to protect that. No one, no one gives us funding for our farm. Our farm is capitalist based so that means we need money in to put back into the farm the moment something is not making money farmers will resort back to something that will make money which is cattle or or um, commercial game uh, maize farming so they will kill all the game destroy all the bush put up irrigation fields put up feed lots yeah. put yeah. cattle in there um, so we need to be able to sell a small portion of our game through hunting to be able to sustain our hunting areas because that's that's the only way we're going to do it nobody else is going to give us any money to say okay here's money keep the game but don't hunt the game no one, no one is, is no one's going to do that no one everybody is quick to 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 shove fingers in your face and say how can you shoot this beautiful animal and how can you do this how can you do that but give us money give us give us the income to to provide land for these animals then i mean we would shoot a lot less so animals pay for themselves the small amount of trophy animals that we shoot each year pay for thousands and thousands of other game that live for many years and most of them, honestly, they are being caught by a leopard or die of old age on the farm. And it's only a small sample of them that actually go onto the wall or onto the plate.
1: And if I can if I can just jump here to add to that, one of the things that I often say to um, most anti-hunters or, or non-hunters who get upset about the African hunting scene or, or what they see is, um, of those animals that get taken for trophies, if we think about their life versus say, the life of a, yeah. uh, of a cow in, in a commercial cattle operation, or the life of even those other game that starve and die of old age, they die a quick, clean, humane death compared to an animal that is old and can't compete and gets killed by another competing buck or can't feed itself and dies of yeah. starvation and, and dies in cold weather when there's a cold weather snap and stuff. So it, even from a compassionate perspective, if you understand it, it actually makes, makes more sense to have trophy hunting that results in quick clean kills, small number of animals that fund the life of the rest of them. And I I, I couldn't agree more with what you say. I I, I think you, you've got a clear cogent point there.
2: Yeah, that's, that's 100% correct. And you don't have to be a hunter to understand that principle. You don't have to contribute. You just have to understand that Money needs to be made in a company, whether it's corporate or medical-based or hunting-based. Money needs to be made to be able to put money back
0: into the company. Bottom line.
2: That's the bottom line. If you yep. like it or not, exactly. that's the way it is.
0: If um, one of the arguments that I often see, um, and that I've even had uh, people on social media say to me, is, well, why, why, why do you need to go and spend all the money over there? Why don't you just send your money over there to help with conservation as opposed to going over to hunt with conservation. That seems to be a lot of the argument like, hey, if you want to help these animals, why don't you just send your money over to conservation? I I think that there's a a really big conversation there, not just to explain to them why their thinking is somewhat ridiculous, but by understanding that yeah there's there's some rich guys that go over and hunt there but the majority of the guys that go over and hunt africa they're 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 regular kind of everyday guys and they they save for long periods yeah. of time which you y- you know we, we've been having this conversation that you know i'm trying to get over there to hunt with you and and that, you know, it, it takes a long time to save up enough cash to, to fly across the other side of the world, no matter what you're doing. Um, it's, it's not a cheap enterprise to do. So you guys will save for five or ten years to go on, go on one of these hunts. And, and then you've got somebody saying, hey, why don't you just take that $20,000 and give it to somebody and not even worry about going? And so I guess for me, it's like if I'm going to save five, if I'm going to save for five yeah. years to do something that may only happen once in my life, then I, I don't understand why that's a bad thing and why I can't enjoy that and, and get experiences that I will never forget. You know what I mean?
1: And, and I think the argument that I'll just give them the money, you still have to have a supply chain exactly. and, a, and, a, and a commercial mechanism by which that money feeds out, and that relies on the animal dying. So Correct. you're never going to have enough money to keep every animal alive and then right. feed skinners and trackers and everything else, even if you just gave them a handout. So, uh, the argument, I get what they're saying. And I think it comes down to, ultimately, why do you want to kill an animal? And, mate, we've got, we don't have enough time in the next no, two hun- years to cover that. No, one. we don't. But it is an important ethical question, <laughs> right? And more Because I think as hunters, we all ask ourselves that. But what bothers me is that you'll have liberal, and I use the small L, liberal, lefty kind of latte-sipping oh, yeah. sitting in London or New York or Sydney who will decry hunting who have no concept or even don't really care about the local African that is making their living based on that animal. And obviously the Afrikaners and all, you know, the, the wealthier populations in Africa as well that on the land and all the rest of it. But that's the thing that bothers me is that there's a disconnect between those that are kind of virtue signaling about how horrible it is and those that are actually reliant on that. And it was the same thing years and years ago when they, attacked fur coats. And what they realized is that the Inuit in Alaska and northern Canada suffered. And at the end they didn't care because they could feel better about not killing seals. And, and, and to me, I, I think you, you hit it on the head, Neil, when you said it is a model that works. It is a model that supports a broad population that actually doesn't hurt the conservation of the animal. In fact, protects it because there's an economic value in something. It's not just somebody's little pet right it actually has a commercial correct value so yeah it's, it's yeah. It, it, it you know i've heard this argument a lot i've heard the discussion it's good to kind of hear the people that are in that industry mm-hmm. they're still comfortable with that argument and using it when, when when confronted with this question so very good stuff
2: yeah from from the hunter's side i mean the argument concerning why don't you just give the money to them i mean the, the actual killing part is, is a, such a small part of, of the actual holiday which is a holiday you come to South Africa to experience a holiday but you come for the culture, the weather, the food, the scenery and the hunting it's not just coming here and killing a bunch of stuff getting on a plane back and going home it's so much more of an experience from your side from our side is sending the money then yeah I'm going to benefit and I'm going to put it back into my animals but if you come over here then there's a there's a supply chain that's going to benefit all the way from the airline or, yep, to the farm absolutely. and everything
1: absolutely. in between oh, yeah no it's, it's good stuff one question I have that we actually covered mm-hmm. and I've got a very definitive ethical view on hunting bow hunting particularly one species I've got a view that um, I'm not convinced um, about bow hunting of elephants. A- a- and I certainly don't have a view, or I don't have a problem with hunting them with rifles, right? And the basis of my view is that given the anatomy of those animals and given how big they are, I'm not convinced that there's equipment, bow hunting equipment, that's strong enough to bust through ribs on an elephant and to ensure a quick, clean kill. What your thoughts on that? Or, or do you have any? Have you thought about it?
2: So, yeah, it's a, that's a very good topic. I've never actually personally hunted an elephant uh, with rifle or with bow, but I know how it works. So if you, firstly you have to understand when you shoot an animal with a bow and arrow, a smaller game animal, um, you puncture the lungs and the lungs collapse. So there's no more oxygen going to the brain and the animal dies within seconds. But with an elephant it differs. The lungs are too big for your arrow to physically collapse the lungs. So that animal, when you shoot it with a bow, the lungs still function and they die of blood loss. Which is a, di- a bit different than shooting a smaller game animal. The term is called a pneumothorax. So that happens when the lung is punctured, the lung collapses. No more oxygen goes through the brain, animal dies within seconds. So it's not, most people think it's actually from blood loss. The animal bleeds out, which is not completely true. With, a, with an elephant, it differs. So in that sense, you are correct that there is an ethical side to it, because now you're slowly killing that animal, which goes against our hunting ethics. But with a rifle, you can actually make a big enough hole, or you can do a brain shot which is a lot more ethical. But again, I have never had first-hand experience with it, so it's very hard for me to give a, a, a opinion um, based on just the theory that I yeah. know. okay.
1: No, it's interesting. And again, I, I, I'm, I'm torn about it. I've been on a couple of different sides of that view, and it's just, I'm always interested in people who are in the African scene, who obviously know as much as you do and are intimately involved in the the biology as well as the the commercial side of it, how they feel. So it's interesting because I am, um, I've come come to that position uncomfortably, right? Because I believe that you should be able to hunt anything, yeah. and I'm and I I'm generally very progressive when it comes to the circumstances in which you hunt something. Um, mm. But in this one, it, it just seems to me I, I couldn't get there from here. But with a, 416, yeah. right? a four sixteen, right? I'm I'm there, right? <laughs> right.
2: I'm not against it. Personally, really, I'm not against hunting any species with an arrow, because again, we come back to the fact that if you don't hunt that species, you are basically allowing that animal to die a much more horrific death, especially in lion. I mean, lions, they really, when they get old, their teeth get worn out and they really die of starvation. So now you've got to ask yourself, Is a is an arrow with blood loss, is that a lot worse than dying of starvation oh yeah so no, no, of course personally not. i'm yeah. not against it if someone wants to do an elephant with bow and arrow um i will set it up i will guide it i will do it as ethical as my moral values allow me to but from your standpoint i can understand why you would say it is a bit against your personal ethical life yeah that I understand, but I'm not it's against it.
0: It's an interesting topic, no. isn't it? Yeah. 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 Oh, no. Yeah. I, I get it. Because we've had this conversation, and because, and you and I have had this conversation as well, Neil, that my, my kind of dream is the big five with my bow. And um, so, one thing we were talking about in, in a previous podcast was that, that Goody made the argument that um, the ribs on an elephant are like four inches thick, and that you're just, if you, if you get an arrow, it's not going to go all the way in far enough to, to hit vitals. And, and, and I said, well, okay, so why, why even fight with the rib cage? Why not just take, you know, the Texas heart shot and that way you skip the rib cage altogether. And he made the argument that, well, you know, the hole on a pelvis. And I made the argument that the hole on a pelvis on an elephant is ginormous. Yeah. And so do you, do you have any, any thoughts yeah, on that? Well, because this is, yeah.
2: Theory, theoretically based, the rib thing is, um, is, is a lot of theory. Uh, lately, people have been, with bow hunting, coming a long ways, very, very, like, currently. Um, we've actually did a, an elephant um, with, a, with a rifle a few years back. I, did, I didn't guide. I was just an observer. And then on the dead carcass, before they processed the meat, they actually put the elephant on its side and tested different bow hunting setups. And, uh, and all of the setups they tested at, let's say, 25 yards. They completely vanished arrows within that elephant with modern day bow hunting equipment. So we've come a long ways in in, in slipping technology. That means when you hit a rib, the, the 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 broadhead is designed to slip off that rib and not penetrate the rib. So we've come a long way in that technology. That I would not I would not worry about a broadside shot with a modern day technology. Buffalo setup on an elephant because we took buffalo setups and many of them, probably five different setups, and we we shot shots into that elephant carcass and we vanished arrows. We had no problem with penetration whatsoever. yeah were those were those circumstances
1: where they hit ribs or where yeah, they so shot? so you would hit, hit a rib,
2: and then the you, you will probably not penetrate a rib on an elephant, but you would hit a rib and the arrow would deviate slightly off of that rib. So. Most of the modern-day um, broadheads that, that are not made to, they are, they've got very blunt, well, blunt is not the right word, but rounded edges in the front to, to help them slip off of broadheads, yeah. or off of a um, So especially in buffalo as well, um, because buffalo, they've got wide ribs, very wide ribs. So if you can do a good buffalo setup, I would be more than confident to do an elephant with just a little bit more weight in the in in the arrow because it's just more more meat to penetrate so just need a a deeper arrow so yeah
1: yeah look I mean again I would have to look at some of the data there I think again if the view is that the technology's changed I think in the conversation we had is part of my issue was I wasn't convinced that technology had gotten there and my thinking would be that technology would change in terms of limb material or string material yeah. that would create greater force and speed which would work against that but if you're saying at the front end the broad head changed, shape yeah. and structure has changed to minimize that risk of hitting the the rib then maybe yeah it's something that's something to contemplate okay interesting and we i've actually had a guy he
2: has a 2005 boat Tech beast in 105 pounds Oof and then when I was still worked at the Archer shop he bought the latest Bowtech Insanity back in 2012 at 80 pounds and the Bowtech Insanity shot momentum, kinetic energy and speed wise a lot more efficiently than the 105 yeah. pounds yeah, and absolutely. that's 7-8 years apart and so you, you can get modern day equipment can really outperform bows that are 10 years behind because bow hunting has come a long ways in the last seven years anything pre-2010 was really i mean it wasn't as efficient as the modern day technology is now
1: okay interesting interesting conversation again i, I still have my doubts and my reservations be elephants with elephants yeah bow, but i, but Which I, I think good. you've got me you got me thinking about it more from the front of the arrow rather than the, the bow itself so it's interesting the bow good stuff mate i yeah. like it and on oh, nice. arrows,
2: arrows as well, they started making Arrows um, that taper towards the backside as well. This is something that's been coming also for the past 10 years now. But technology has come a long way where they argue that if you can hit a rib and you have to penetrate that rib with your broadhead, it's better for the arrow to be a lot thinner in the backside mm-hmm. than in the front because it, it lessens your resistance. Yes, so yeah. all these things are going to help you maybe 10% of the time, but adding up all these little 10% will greatly influence your success rate in the long run.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Great. Good topic. Anything else we've got?
0: I like it. Um, I well, I know, I know Neil's at work. Yes, yeah. And I, so I, we see. don't, we don't want to keep <laughs> you too long. We just want to thank you for the opportunity that we had to have you on the show today, and uh, thank you for Easy. taking time out of your busy day to to have this conversation with us and, and talk about some pretty funny and some pretty serious issues. We want our, our listeners to know that we fully support Red Sand Safaris because you guys are ethical and moral, and you, you you agree with all the things that we agree with, and we feel that that you're a worthwhile company to work with, and so. Uh, we will be doing that, and so look out for our commercials for Red Sand Safaris. Yeah. Uh, it's got the email address, you can get a hold of us directly, and we are happy to to, um, to help you out getting your hunt over there with with Neil and his crew over in in South Africa.
1: Right, and it's uh and Neil. It's been fantastic. It's been fantastic time, you Really yeah. appreciate it. Thanks so much for uh, Steve
2: and Beauty for having me uh, all the way from South Africa on your on your show, and yeah, welcome to the team.